Okay, ultimatum. So the first thing I want to point out is that the um, well, the the lava monster here, monsters here, first of all, uh, whether intentionally or not, are quite similar to lava monsters that uh, were used in a, a run on Aquaman recently by Eric Larson, uh, who established that there were big uh, lava monster-ish things that were living in the uh, the Earth's magma. So whether that's uh, intentional or not, it, it's hardly the first. Uh, First time an idea like that's been used, so quite possibly is a coincidence, but um, the more invisible plane. I think this is also the uh, the first appearance of Batman's fancy new uh, bat plane. That uh, it's not the the same uh, one that was used in uh, in the first two seasons. It's a new new design that uh, obviously here can uh, hover, which I don't think the old one can do. And uh, it's more like a... It's, it's more cl- it's closer to the bat, uh, the bat wing from uh, Batman the Animated Series than the bat plane he's been using since the new Batman Adventures. It's more like a, more like a jet than a little one-man fighter. But, uh, but anyway. So the, uh, the heroes, the lineup of heroes that were used in this episode, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, were chosen because, and I'll get into this more later when I'm talking about the Ultimen, but those four heroes were the original lineup on the first iteration of the Super Friends TV series. And this episode is really a big Super Friends uh, mash note slash homage from from the four heroes that were chosen to star in the episode, to the Ultimen themselves, to uh, the villains that are in the episode, uh, to a couple little cameos and uh, and nods along the way, all of which I'll attempt to point out. But it's basically one big Super Friends homage, and uh, and that's why these four heroes were chosen. Uh, the Ultimen, for their part, are uh, rough analogs to the four new heroes, or, or four or five new heroes that were created specifically for the Super Friends series. Uh, back when Super Friends first aired, uh, there weren't too many minority heroes in uh, in DC Comics, and so when they wanted to make the Super Friends lineup a bit more diverse, they created a bunch of their own characters. Uh, Samurai was a, uh, a Japanese character who basically had Red Tornado's wind-based powers. Apache Chief was a Native American character who could grow. Uh, Black Vulcan was an African-American character who basically had uh, electricity powers. Uh, and Zan and Jaina, the Wonder Twins, of course, uh, have taken on a life of their own in pop culture. Uh, one could turn into water, and the other could turn into animals. Uh, and they're obviously analogous in this episode to uh, to the Ultimen. Wind Dragon is basically Samurai. Long Shadow here is basically Apache Chief. Uh, Downpour and Shifter here are Zan and, J- Zan and Jaina. And Juice is basically Black Vulcan. Um, it's interesting that they decided to... Uh, to, what, I mean, there are a lot of ways you can do a Super Friends homage. Uh, the fact that they decided to use these characters was quite ingenious because uh, of the way they tie it into the Cadmus arc. I'll get back to that in a second, but i got to wonder here, since the tower was completely submerged, how Batman and the others didn't just drown, but whatever. Um, basically, the, the, this episode is about you know what makes you a person and what makes you a hero. You know, if you're, if you're grown in a test tube like the, the Ultimen find out that they were, 
if they're programmed to have these powers and these memories, in what way are they truly heroes? And uh, at the end, of course, the big uh, the big moral of the story is that they're heroes if they choose to, you know, overcome their origins and and decide to be good and and uh, compassionate people, as Longshadow decides to be. But uh, the idea here that they they use these characters that were created in test tubes uh, ties into the theme of this story in that. As I said, uh, back in the Super Friends, these characters were created out of whole cloth. They didn't exist in the comics. They were created to be cool, new, multicultural heroes. Just as, the, just as in the context of this episode, the Ultimen were created by Amanda Waller and Cadmus to be cool, new heroes that today's generation could relate to. So the Ultimen in this story are basically created for the same reason that the Super Friends characters were created by TV executives and artists back in uh, back in the days of the Super Friends, to be relatable and, and cool new multicultural, her- multicultural heroes that, uh, that people could see a bit of themselves in. But what this story then uh, takes to its, to that lo- it takes that to its logical conclusion by saying that, well, you can't be a real person or a real hero if you're just if that's all you have to say about yourself is that you're you're cool and you're new and you're multicultural and and you've got a, a cool new origin and and cool headquarters and so on, it's how you act. It's who you are as a person. And so, I don't know whether they're making a little dig at the Super Friends by saying you can't make a good superhero just by making them multicultural and and giving them cool powers and having them just suddenly be there. You've got to make the audience believe that they're good, decent, honest people, and that's how you be a hero. So, the episode really exposes the, the flaw in uh, in the Super Friends uh, lineup, which is, you can't create a hero that way. Here we have Maxwell Lord, voiced by, uh, by Tim Matheson. I'll get back to him in a second. One thing I, I neglected to mention earlier... Uh, when Wind Dragon's powers amp up and they become ice-based, uh, Batman sort of grimaces as if he's noticed it, so he, he at this point realizes something is up. Here it's interesting that there are seven chairs around the round table because Shiera hasn't come back yet. So did they build the table with seven chairs, hoping that she would eventually come back? Or did they build one for Aquaman? Because later on, when she does come back, she's occupying the seventh chair. Aquaman isn't part of the uh, the inner circle, if you will, so I don't know why that is. Here, the uh, the very, very top of the building here, the Ultimate Headquarters, is uh, basically the, the design of the uh, Hall of Justice from Super Friends. Another thing that I didn't mention earlier when, uh, when Batman and Aquaman are cornered on the top of the tower there and... Uh, Batman asks Aquaman if he can make telepathic contact, and Aquaman responds, do they look, do they look like fish to you? And that always struck me as, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a funny line, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense, because Aquaman can communicate with more than just fish. He can communicate with sea creatures. He can communicate with whales and dolphins, for instance, who aren't fish, but rather mammals. So if these creatures do come from the sea, or below the sea, or whatever, he should logically be able to communicate them, so... Batman's Batman's question wasn't quite as stupid as it appeared. So here, Maxwell Lord is talking to Amanda Waller. Um, 
Are we about to go into the prison break sequence? Yes, we are. Uh, it's interesting that they chose Giganta and Bizarro to be the uh, sort of supporting villains in this episode for the same reason it's interesting that they decided to create the Ultimate in the way that they did. Because, uh, first of all, Bizarro and, and Giganta are two of the most fondly remembered villains from the Super Friends TV series, specifically the, uh, the challenge of the Super Friends season, which had the Legion of Doom. Um, the other cool thing here is that if you think about it, both Bizarro and Giganta were created as a result of genetic manipulation. Bizarro was obviously an imperfect clone of Superman, and Giganta was uh, created by Grodd by taking this uh, this little female gorilla and transforming her into a, uh, a size-changing human through, uh, through genetic manipulation, presumably. So... Uh, the two of them tie into the, the same theme of the episode, which is, you know, genetic manipulation gone awry when used for less than pure motives. Here, uh, Bizarro is voiced by George Newbern for the first time, as is only appropriate since George Newbern portrays Superman in the series. Um, the fact that Tim Daly portrayed him back in Superman the Animated Series, I suppose, was seen as secondary to the fact that George Newbern currently voices him, and so they cast George Newbern here as opposed to trying to get Tim Daly back. Although, for all I know, they might have tried. Uh, what's interesting is that they had to sort of futz with his voice a little bit electronically give it a bit of a, a garbled sound for Bizarro. But uh, by the time you get to season five, and Bizarro makes his couple of little appearances there as as part of the Legion of Doom, uh, George Newbern's voice is no longer messed with electronically, he's able to uh, make Bizarro sound a little unnatural just uh, just through his acting. So it's another way in which George Newbern has improved over the course of the series. I love how the Ultimens theme music is, is uh, Long Shadow's ringtone here. Here in a second, I'm, I'm going to uh, talk over it, I'm sure, but uh, when you can barely hear what the Ultimen are saying because Long Shadow's trying to listen in on what Hamilton and Lord and Waller are saying, uh, there's actually a little mention of Britney Spears in there. is <laughs> interesting. They probably wouldn't have been able to get away with that if it were any more prominent, if you were able to hear it any better than you can. Pretty sure Windragon's missing a few bones based on that x-ray, but we won't get into that. Also, his leg bones appear to be fused to his hip, which must be, must be painful. Ah, here she is, Amanda Waller, quite possibly the best villain in the entire run of the show. Voiced, I mean, what what more can be said about CCH Pounder as Amanda Waller? She's just fantastic. They wanted someone who could stand toe-to-toe with Kevin Conroy as Batman because they were going to make them sort of adversaries over the course of this series, and she does so spectacularly. I'll talk a little bit about here uh, here about uh, Maxwell Lord and Amanda Waller and their uh, their histories in the comics. Maxwell Lord was created uh, for Justice League number one, which is not the first obviously ongoing Justice League series, but rather the one that debuted in May uh, 1987. He was established as sort of a mysterious, amoral businessman, kind of in the same way he uh, he's portrayed here, uh, who in the comics worked. Uh, sort of behind the scenes to establish the uh, what became the Justice League International in the Giffen de Mateus uh, run on the series. Uh, later on, during the invasion crossover, uh, a device called the Gene Bomb detonated and activated his latent metagene and gave him the ability to control minds, 
although at first he was only able to do so with great difficulty. Um, and later on, he sort of uh, sort of toned him down a bit, and uh, he was shown as becoming more and more of a good guy and uh, mellowing out a bit. But uh, alas, that wasn't to last. Watch out for Rex the Wonder Dog. That's supposed to be a, a mutant, Rex the Wonder Dog, the uh, one more character from Super Friends that they decided to throw in this episode. Um, so yeah, Maxwell Lord. Um, it seemed like he was uh, becoming a good guy and uh, mellowing out a bit, but in the uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis special from a couple of years ago, uh, it was revealed that he had always been quote-unquote evil and that he was trying to... Uh, Working that in working behind the scenes and creating the uh, sort of comedic league here, when Amanda Waller refers to the squad, she's referring to the Suicide Squad, aka Task Force X. Um, it was revealed that in in trying to create a more lighthearted, uh, family-friendly Justice League, if you will, he was actually trying to make the league less effective, so they wouldn't be able to oppose him. Uh, he had always been evil. He killed uh, Blue Beetle, a character that I mentioned in the previous commentary that uh, they weren't allowed to use on this show and was revealed to be behind something called uh, the OMAC Project, which is basically, uh, there was a, a big satellite in, in outer space called Brother Eye, and uh, it could activate people into OMACs, which be- and so ordinary people became these sort of robotic, uh, almost unstoppable sort of sentinels, uh, man-sized sentinels, basically. Uh, and there were hundreds of thousands of these things, and uh, that was his his big plan to use these to eliminate the metahuman population, who he viewed as a uh, a threat to the average person. But uh, his plan didn't work because when he tried to use his uh, his much improved mind control powers on Superman, uh, he succeeded to a certain extent. He was able to get Superman to fight Wonder Woman, but when Wonder Woman was able to uh, defeat him temporarily, she put the lasso of truth around Maxwell Lord and asked Lord uh, how she could stop Superman from, uh, you know, going out of control again. How what? How could she possibly stop him from, uh, from going out of control? How could she release Maxwell Lord's hold on him? And Lord uh, told her with the lasso around him that the only way to do that was to kill him, and so Wonder Woman promptly snapped his neck. So, that's the end of Maxwell Lord. Amanda Waller, for her part, uh, was created for Legends Number 1 in uh, November 1986, so only a few months before Maxwell Lord. Uh, her backstory is of particular interest because it kind of feeds into her motivations on this series, even though they're not really gone into on this series. Uh, she lived in Chicago with her husband, Joseph. The fact that she's referred to as Mrs. Waller here is never expanded upon, but she was married to a man named Joseph, and they had six children. Uh, sadly, her husband and two of her children were murdered. And uh, after this, she de- she re- rededicated herself to her education, uh, both for its own rewards and also to be able to uh, achieve higher status and provide for her remaining children. Uh, she pursued a Ph.D. in political science. She became a congressional aide. And after getting into politics, she learned of the Suicide Squad, a.k.a. Task Force X, that had existed since World War II, and uh, suggested to the White House that the squad be reactivated. 
and they agreed and placed her in charge of it. So basically her, her main role in the comics for the last 20 years has been the sort of morally ambiguous head of the Suicide Squad. Uh, relatively recently, uh, when Lex Luthor became president in the comics, she became a member of his cabinet as the Secretary of Metahuman Affairs, a post which obviously doesn't exist in the real world. Uh, after Luthor was deposed, um, she went back into uh, sort of black ops kind of work. Uh, she's currently the White Queen of Checkmate, a uh, currently UN-sponsored, although they used to be a U.S. organization, uh, sort of paramilitary organization, an espionage organization, uh, and unbeknownst to um, the other Checkmate higher-ups, but known to us, she has reactivated the Suicide Squad. So once again, coming for full circle, she's currently in charge of the squad again in the comics. The uh, the, seri- the JLU here um, didn't really play up her connection to the squad so much as they played up her had her role as the head of Cadmus, which is a role she never had in the comics. Cadmus uh, in the comics was a sort of a scientific uh, unit created by uh, Jack Kirby, and uh, they were just basically, I mean, they, were, they conducted some much of the same scientific work and, and cloning exper- experiments that they do here, but unlike in this series in the comics, they weren't affiliated with the government in any way. They were just a benevolent scientific uh, group, whereas here, obviously, they're sort of more sinister tone and they're, they're uh, sort of uh, being controlled by the government, which is not how it was in the comics. But uh, I, I found it interesting that Amanda Waller, and I, I hadn't known this uh, when I watched these episodes, but I found it interesting that Amanda Waller had a husband and children and, and that she lost them. And I, I wish that the show had, and I know it seems kind of cliche, but if the show had developed the idea that she had a family and she lost them, perhaps because of many humans... Um, or even during a terrorist attack or, or something, something that would make her want to exert a measure of control over the superhuman population uh, so that they don't become too powerful. Uh, that would have been an interesting way to go. And it would have obviously further set her up as uh, Batman's equal and opposite if, uh, if she had lost family and, uh, had, and had dedicated herself and reinvented herself to, uh, to fight the root of that, uh, that violence which in her case would have been metahumans, but in Batman's case was just street-level crime. Since they chose to make Waller or Batman sort of opposite number in Cadmus, it's too bad they d- didn't really de- decide to, uh, to develop any sort of duality between them in that way, but it would have been interesting. I haven't talked a lot about uh, the actors that portray Maxwell Lord and Amanda Waller. Uh, Tim Matheson, I haven't seen him in a lot. Uh, he came to my attention as Vice President John Hoynes in uh, The West Wing, which I'm a big fan of. I haven't seen him in anything else, but he was terrific in that. Uh, CCH Pounder came to my attention when she had a recurring role, albeit not a starring role, on ER for a few years early in its run. Uh, She's also uh, been a a major uh, presence on The Shield, a show I've never watched myself, so I can't speak to that. But... uh, Again, there, there are two, much like the other, other actors that uh, they like to cast in this show, they're, they're not people that have like headlined a lot of movies or necessarily starred in TV shows, but 
that have been around a lot and had a lot of really well-acted, noteworthy supporting roles in movies and TV shows and just have a, a terrific quality and, uh, and expression in their voices. I mean, CCH Pounder has such a distinctive sound to her voice and such a sort of a hard-nosed, yet, uh, yet there's a sort of a hint of compassion in there as well, which, uh, which serves the character well. Now, people complain that the Ultimen went nuts for no real reason, uh, that all of a sudden they just decided when they got to the end of the episode, hey, we better have a big showdown between the Ultimen and the Justice League, so let's make them go nuts and try to take out the Justice League so they'll be remembered, which doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but they realized that that didn't make a lot of sense, which is why they had Superman talk about the cellular degeneration getting worse, and why they had Batman say the same thing, and mention explicitly that they weren't making any sense, and therefore they must be getting sicker. Um, So again, that ironclad rule in science fiction and animation and all that, if you've got to have a plot point in there that doesn't make a lot of sense, have the characters say that it doesn't make a lot of sense, so that at least the audience knows you're not trying to pull a fast one on them. So Long Shadow never appeared again after this, uh, outside of the Ultimen army and uh, Panic in the Sky, of course. Uh, so I suppose we're to assume that he died in between episodes, whether it's between this episode and the next one, or, or somewhere further down the line, I don't know. It would have been interesting if we'd seen him in the in the background a couple more times, and then suddenly he he would disappear, and we'd be able to fill in the blanks. But uh, he didn't even appear again in the background. This is a fantastic scene as well. And of course, this is the first time we get an inkling that Waller knows Batman's uh, secret identity. And I'll talk a bit a bit more a bit more about that when I get to the Doomsday Sanction. Actually, Wonder Woman took a bit of flack here as well. Um, the fact that uh, she develops this uh, this rapport with Longshadow, I thought was very sweet. But people seem to think she was macking on him, uh, which is a little bizarre. I never got that sense. I just thought she uh, she decided to take a, an interest in his development as a superhero. Not that she was necessarily attracted to him in any romantic way, but uh, I don't know. A, a certain contingent of fans seem to uh, look for any excuse to rail on the female characters whenever they show any sort of emotion. It's kind of bizarre. Anyway, that's Ultimatum, a great introduction for Amanda Waller, the first time we hear uh, Cadmus mentioned, obviously to become a much bigger presence in upcoming episodes, and also serves as a wonderful uh, sort of love note to uh, the old Superfriends series. Thanks for listening.